I invite you to turn in God's Word, if you have a copy with you, to Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. This is the reading of God's holy and errant and all-sufficient word. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning reminded that you alone have these words of eternal life. So Lord, we ask that through your word we would see Christ, that we would hear Christ proclaimed from this pulpit, and that, God, that our hearts would cherish and delight in the salvation that is ours, that has been won for us in Christ. God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning, and that, Lord, that you would be glorified over all things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first off, it is really great to worship with you all here. Uh, I am not a Kansas native. I've only been here, I'm going on about one year now, maybe 10 months. And so this is my first time to not drive through Lee Summit, but to actually stop and do spend some time here in Lee Summit. So it's wonderful that the first time that I could be here in Lee Summit is to worship with you all here at Christ the Redeemer. Um, I'm originally from the southeast, from Atlanta and Orlando, and I came here for the call for the assistant pastor role over at Oak Hills Presbyterian Church, uh, which is over in Shawnee, Kansas. And it's been really wonderful, and when uh, I was invited to come here and, and to preach God's Word, it was, I was really excited to see what the Lord has been doing here in We Summit, and just really being able to see within our own presbytery the work that God has been doing through his word, through the gospel. And it's really encouraging to just simply be here and worshiping with the saints here. And so it's, it's really a privilege. And I could go on and on, but that is the least important thing to highlight this morning. We come before God's word today, and this is an immense privilege, more than it is for me to be up here at the pulpit. And so it is a privilege of mine to bring before you the good news of the gospel uh, maybe very familiar words, especially because we had just prayed this prayer during our service. And so I feel like there's a lot of heavy lifting that I'll have to be doing, but hopefully not. If anything, I, I, I pray that as we talk about prayer here and as we go through prayer, you could go through a whole sermon series on prayer or even the Lord's Prayer. My hope that, is that this morning we would be renewed in our delight in what the gift of prayer is for the saints. That this is a gift pray. Maybe we've heard that before, but maybe for some of us, we just simply need that reminder again, because 
any Christian you meet and any pastor you meet, I'm sure if you even ask Pastor Aaron, what is one area of your life that you want to grow in? I think most Christians would say prayer. Hardly ever have I heard a Christian really talk about, I want to grow in my devotional life of reading of Scripture, right? We've got plans for that. But when it comes to prayer, there's something there that is extremely difficult to continue in consistency in our own prayer lives. So I think it's important for us to remember that prayer is a gift that God has given us. And so as we come before the way that the Lord teaches us to pray, I pray that we would have this renewed sense of this is a wonderful gift that our Heavenly Father has given us. It's a gift beyond all gifts. And so this morning, I like to lay out my points so that it's easy to follow and that you guys can keep uh, have me on track with time. But the first point is the posture of prayer, secondly, the privilege of prayer, and thirdly, the purpose of prayer. And we'll be diving into these verses here. As we think about the posture of prayer, it's good to note that this is not the only place where Jesus explains and gives this prayer. He gives a shorthand version of this in Luke 11. But as we come here in Matthew 6, it's, it's within the grand scope of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is from chapters 5 to 7, and we see kind of in between there Jesus talking about prayer. And maybe a simple way for us to think about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and the people who belong to that kingdom. And there in the center in chapter 6, we find prayer as a thing that Jesus kind of highlights and teaches on. But before he teaches us what is good prayer and what is biblical prayer, he teaches us in a way that is negative, how not to pray. This is, that's probably the most helpful thing for us because we often in our own lives and in, even in churches tend to take prayer manufactured in our own way and, use, and seek to use prayer in a way that was not gifted to us. So Jesus teaches us how not to pray, and we'll start from verse 7 and verse 8 here. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The first way that we are not to pray is to heap up empty words like the Gentiles. In other words, prayer is not a foreign thing to the nations here. It's not just something that Christians are trying to do, but there's a different sense in which how Christians ought to pray. You see the Gentiles here, when they're praying to their pagan gods, they're using these empty phrases. They're heaping up words upon words upon words that sound eloquent and amazing and that might even tickle your ears a little bit if we were to hear someone speak in such heightened level of speech. And Jesus is saying, do not be like these Gentiles who are just saying words and words and words that really don't mean very much. Isn't this interesting for us and I think, especially for us who come into this reform context, there's a, there's, there's a sense in which we want to get this right. We want to be precise in our language. We want to be precise theologically. We want to be praying to the one true God as he's revealed himself through the word. So don't get me wrong on that, but there is also a sense where that 
should not deter you from going to your Heavenly Father in prayer. So often when I have prayer meetings with various folks, even in church, there's a reason why people don't like praying out loud. And oftentimes it's not because they don't have much to say or much to request. It is that they are afraid of being judged for their lack of precision. Jesus is getting to that here when he's saying, don't just simply heap up empty phrases for the sake of empty phrases. He's getting to the heart of prayer here that we would not do it as the Gentiles do, for they believe that as they pray and pray and have these eloquent words, eloquent phrases, that somehow their prayers will be heard a little bit better. It's kind of like when you're to get an email that has all caps and says, urgent. Well, nowadays, maybe you won't. You just put that straight to your spam folder. But back in the day, if you had all caps with urgent, even though it was not the first email on your list, you would scroll down and you would open that thing up. And this is the way that the Gentiles pray. They think that because of their words, because of the, the actions of prayer, that somehow they get to the front of the line and that God will somehow listen to them quicker, will even respond favorably to how they prayed. Isn't this how we often tend to think? This is a superstitious way of prayer. Now, what is Jesus really getting to in getting to all of this as he's teaching us how not to pray, to not just heap up empty phrases, to not just have the superstitious prayer? It's, just, it's, to, it's to point us to where the power of prayer really lies. The power of prayer is not stored up in your tongues to the Lord. The power of prayer is in the one to whom we pray to. This is an important distinction for us to remember. To the one whom we pray to is where the power of prayer is. Far too often we place way too much confidence in our actual prayers. Therefore, we will heap up empty phrases. We'll be prone to that. We'll even think that because we've had such an eloquent prayer, the Lord must listen. or because we prayed so persistently, 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 it is my right that God would listen and answer. Jesus wants to protect us from such false ways of thinking about prayer. Because in that, we lose the gift of what prayer actually is. Once again, it's a gift. Prayer is not the means in which we simply get things from God. Prayer is the gift that God has given to his people. And yet, God's people often, we neglect this wonderful gift. In my own life, I'd be the first to admit that I seek to grow more and more in my own life of prayer. Real prayer a communing with the triune God who is not only my creator, but my redeemer. The God of the universe who we'll say Jesus gives us the privilege to call him as our father. And this is where we're getting to here as we think about the posture of prayer. And before we think about the privilege of prayer, the posture of prayer that Jesus is wanting us to 
have is a sincere and trusting prayer, an empty-handed trust as we pray. This is how the Westminster Shorter Catechism speaks of prayer. I think it's wonderful that our, the Shorter Catechism speaks with a very uh, blunt question, what is prayer? In question 98, and it answers it in this way, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his prayers. In commentary to that, G.I. Williamson will talk about prayer in this way. It's fundamentally the longing aspiration of the regenerate heart for the true God as his or her portion. The reason why prayer is a gift is because God has made it a means in which we get him. That is why it's a gift. What's interesting about, if you were to look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism answer, prayer is, a, is an offering up of our desires unto God. If you were to look at the proof text, if you're kind of like a Bible nerd like me, and you'll look at proof text, and you'll do all the lines and go around, it's interesting what proof text they use to get that into, uh, to get that answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. Because if you were to think about what scripture text they might use, you might think that they would go to Paul, and they'll talk about the passages where Paul calls us to pray without, you know, pray with, uh, without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. These are the classic texts on prayer of what a life of prayer should look like. But where the Westminster divines go is Psalm 62, verse 8. So next time someone asks you, where can I go in the scriptures to talk about prayer? I hope that you'll be able to say Psalm 62, verse 8. And it says this in Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And in this, we see prayer is not just merely a communicating with God. There is that. But prayer is a pouring out of our whole hearts, our whole lives to the Lord. It's not just a prayer of pouring out our requests. That's not what the Westminster divines were trying to get at. They're saying this is a, a pouring out of our whole lives. In that is the adoration. In that is the thanksgiving. In that is the confession of sins. In that is the supplication, the request, the, the things that we ask of God. But in all of it, we are to pour out our hearts, trusting in him at all times. This is a rhetorical question, and I ask this to myself as well. Is that what your prayer life looks like? That as you go to the Lord in prayer, it is you trusting in him at all times and a pouring out of your heart before him, a pouring out of your life before him. That means our prayers are supposed to be sincere, from our hearts, right, pouring out our whole hearts. And we often pray prayers that are very small. I remember uh, I did my uh, MDiv over at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and on our chapel there is this quote from one of our founders as they're talking about kind of building this campus, and it was 
It required a lot of prayer and in, in, in source. It required a miracle of God so that we would have this wonderful campus where I would later on get my education and be trained for, the, for gospel ministry. And on that side, as you would walk towards chapel, as you're going from the classrooms, it was just this one quote that always stuck with me from my first day that I was there on campus to even now and every day that I've been in ministry. How big is your God? How big is your God? That is a founding quote for RTS Orlando. But not just for an institution. It should be a quote that we hang on to as we go in prayer to the Lord. How big is your God? And in comparison to how big and majestic and glorious God is, if we're to look at how we pray I think we should admit that our prayers are often very, very small. I think there was a time when Charles Spurgeon was preaching. He was guest preaching somewhere, and in his prayer before he would go uh, and, and preach, it was to thousands in this room, and he simply prayed this simple, small prayer, God, that even one person would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He was later rebuked by someone who was there saying, you know, Pastor Spurgeon, your prayer was too small. Why only pray for one? Why pray only for one person to know the Lord Jesus? Why not the thousands that are here? It's the same for us. We pray far too small sometimes. I leave you with that question, how big is your God? He is far larger than we could ever fathom or that even our words could even contain. Our prayer is to be trusting. We see that in verse 8. Do not be like them. Do not be like these Gentiles. Why? And this is the reason why. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That means here that prayer's main goal is not to simply get things from God. I want to remind us of that again. But in fact, one of the greatest things that God changes in prayer is our very own hearts. As we go to the Lord in prayer, we're not just simply asking God to change our circumstances and the things around us. But the thing that God often changes the most, the greatest thing that God changes in prayer is our own hearts to be conformed to his will. that we would come away from each prayer time trusting in him more than we did before. To be reminded, and it's not because God has somehow changed, it's that we are experiencing all the more the reality of the depths of how trustworthy God is, who is unchangeable, who is mighty, who is magnificent and holy and great. This is the posture of prayer. It's a posture of humility. That is the posture we are to take. A sincere, trusting prayer is a posture of humility. And this leads us then to the privilege of prayer, as we'll see how Jesus teaches us to pray. First thing to note here is that the Lord's Prayer is a model for us in our prayer lives. Notice the structure, the flow of the Lord's Prayer, which we'll briefly go through here, is to be the model in which we pray. That's not to say that we can only use these words, 
but to model the way in which we pray. Because oftentimes, the first thing we pray with is saying, Heavenly Father, and we start going into our requests over and over and over again. And oftentimes, it only kind of stays there, and we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful prayers, sometimes shorthand prayers are great, and the Lord listens to those. But see how the Lord, see how Christ Jesus teaches his people to pray. The requests for our own good will come toward the end. And the structure of this prayer is that it starts with acknowledging whom we are praying to, and then it follows with these six petitions. That even in the things where we are praying for God's name to be glorified, we are not just having statements that, God, you are glorified, and God, you are glorious. We are praying with petition, uh, a heart of petition, asking him that he would be glorified. And we'll look at that a little bit later here. But the first thing for us to know is the privilege of prayer. And that comes with whom we are praying to. Jesus calls us to pray to our Father in heaven. Those first four words in the prayer sums up the gospel for us in many ways. Even those first two words, our Father. If you were to think about that word Father, if you were to trace it throughout the scriptures, if you were to look at the Old Testament, God's people never actually refer to God with that such a personal, intimate language of our Father. They speak of God as Father and like a Father, but never actually personally attaining to that wonderful privilege that he is our, my Father. When Jesus comes in the Gospels, we then hear this radical claim in which the religious leaders get really upset, and this is the reason why, because no one else has ever done this, to speak of God as his Father. And here in this prayer, Jesus invites us, he reminds us of this wonderful privilege that we are not praying to some abstract deity. We're not praying to an unknown creator. We're not even praying in just a superlative way of saying, this is the God of all gods. It's a personal, intimate relationship here that we have through Christ. We can speak of God, the creator of the universe, who has no beginning and no end, the Alpha, the Omega, as our Father. Do not take that for granted, church. May it not be like how you write your emails. Hello, how are you doing? And you really don't really care. When you begin in prayer and you speak of God as your heavenly Father, May the Lord move you deeply because that is a wonderful privilege that we are considered his children and it's secured for us because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. For all who believe, this is eternal life. To have a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe, your creator and maker. We see in 1 John chapter 3, when John writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
but he is not just our Father. He is our Father in heaven. So this gets away from just simply thinking of our prayers as sentimental. We're reminded that God who is in heaven, that we're not merely speaking of a place, so to speak, but that he is on a different level. He is not like us. We are not simply praying to a Father who is like us, but who is holy other. He is holy. He's our Father, and he is the one who is in heaven. He is reigning above all things. And this heavenly Father to whom we pray, we're reminded throughout the scriptures, and whenever Jesus talks about and teaching about uh, prayer, is that he is a Father who does not give bad gifts to his children. Never once has God given a bad gift to his people. He is always a giving and gracious God. And we see in Luke 11, Jesus goes on to this point when he's kind of highlighting and he brings about this, uh, the Lord's Prayer again here, and he, he goes on to this kind of story about a father who won't give to his children a scorpion when they ask for an egg. <laughs> or a snake when you ask for a fish. It's just kind of simple kind of story um, might make us laugh and might be one of our favorite stories to tell our children. It's just a wonderful little example for us to be reminded. Our Heavenly Father, though he may not answer your prayer as you desire him to at times, one thing you can be assured of is that he will never give you a scorpion. He will never switch and bait you. He will never simply give you something that will harm you in that sense So that all that we have in this life, even when we go through trial, this is sometimes hard for us to believe, is that God is sovereignly over such things. We can even say in some instances, he has given them to you for his glory and for your good. There are times where we will not understand the reason why God delays or the reason why God does not give. Even when we pray for good things, the prayer of our loved ones to come to Christ, the prayer of our loved ones who are suffering, the prayer for we summit that Christ the Redeemer would be a great gospel witness to our neighbors. We might not see the fruit right before our eyes. But one thing we can be assured of is, once again, God will not give you a scorpion. He is at work. He is our Father in heaven. This is our privilege in prayer. If we forget this, the rest of all the petitions that are to follow will likely follow in such a way that is us-centered. But as Jesus highlights to whom we pray, we then go into the purpose of prayer. And I'll go through these fairly quickly here. And we look at some of these petitions. And the petitions really have this one major goal, that God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will would be done. Right? We see in verse 10, or uh, at the end of verse 9, actually, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is not just simply saying, God, you are holy. This is not just simply an assertion. We are asking that God's name be holy in all that we do, in every sphere of the land, 
that God's name would be known by all to be holy. I just remember a time, uh, I was going to name a, a, a supermarket, but I realized we don't have that here in Kansas. But down in the south, we have my favorite supermarket called Publix. So if you've ever been there, um, Publix is wonderful. Uh, but I remember there was a time there when I was doing ministry, and I met a man, and I was just getting, they have some wonderful chicken wings there. So if you're down there, wonderful chicken wings. I was picking up some chicken wings and met a guy in line, and he was asking me what I do. I said, I, I work at the church. That really irked him for some reason. And basically, from my time of picking up the chicken wings to getting to the cashier, he followed me and was yelling at me throughout the whole store. And not just yelling at me, but was ridiculing and mocking God. The whole way through, very loudly, he had a shopping cart with him too. And I remember speaking with him, wanting to speak with him later on, gave him my card, hoping that we could maybe chat about this a little bit more where it's not in public where we're, I'm being yelled at. Um, but he declined, and he ends with a God bless you in the most mocking, ridiculing way. I think for a lot of us, if we were to encounter that, we would feel very upset and rightfully so, frustrated even, even angry, but oftentimes because of the way that we have been treated. I remember this was a very strange thing for me. This is why I remember this out of all the encounters I've had with non-believers in places, is that I went to the car and I simply wept for the man. And I wept in the sense because it's not because I felt I was attacked, is that this man had no idea of the holiness of God's name. That God was not being revered as holy. That was the thing that upset me the most. How about for you? In your life, is that the thing that stirs your heart the most? Whether God's name is recognized and worshipped as holy or not. I think if we're very honest with ourselves, it is oftentimes we want our names to be more recognized than even God's. And Jesus teaches us here to pray. The first thing we pray is that God's name would be hallowed holy. But then as we pray for God's name to be hallowed and holy, how will that come about? Well, we see in verse 10 that we pray then for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we think about God's kingdom, very simply put, we're talking about God's reign and even his redemptive presence. In this way, John Calvin speaks of the task of the church is that we make God's invisible kingdom visible. In other words, the church here today, as we wait for Christ to come again, you all here, Christ the Redeemer here in Lee's Summit, you are a kingdom embassy. You are a kingdom outpost. This is wonderful news. This is a wonderful privilege for us. And your task is to make God's invisible kingdom visible. This is the way in which God is seeking to hallow his name from the ends of the earth. 
for his kingdom to come. It's through his church in which his reign and his redemptive presence is being known. In other words, it's a call for us to preach and proclaim Christ crucified. And that we would live under his reign and rule in all that we do. We are currently now citizens of heaven in Christ. That is not just a future citizenship. That is who we are now. And we also pray then for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we talk about God's will, we often think about God's will in terms of our vocation or the things that we do, or even, we might even use God's will as a synonymous term for whatever comes to pass. And those are very general things and great things to speak about. But what is happening here with Jesus as he's talking about God's will is that he's talking about God's people living in obedience to his law. This is the way in which God is hallowing his name. This is the way in which his kingdom is coming, his will being done here on earth. It's not just an abstract thing that we pray, but when we pray these words, what we are essentially saying to God is that, God, would you first and foremost work in my own heart, conform me to your word and your law, and by your spirit, enable me, energize me, give me the power by your spirit, because I cannot do it by myself, to live in accordance to your word. that we would ask God that as his kingdom to come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. J.I. Packer likes to add a little phrase there when we actually pray this in our personal prayer life. And first, start with me. Would that be the prayer for us here? That we pray these big prayers, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But may that not be something in which we're looking towards the outside. May we ask the Lord, start with me. Make me more like Christ. Help my heart to delight in the salvation that is mine, that has been won for me in Christ. Now these are lofty prayers. It's an amazing thing that Jesus doesn't just end the Lord's prayer there, and that's what prayer should be. He could have left it there. I believe Jesus is... And Jesus understands the weight of difficulty that we cannot do this ourselves. We cannot bring God's kingdom and his will to be done in our own strength. So those first kind of three petitions we looked at, we can think of that as God's glory, prayers for God's glory. And these last three we're going to look at are simply prayers for our good. And this is the reality of our present help that we need. We see prayer for our daily bread, prayer for forgiveness, prayer that we would be led not into temptation but delivered from evil. And these are not just prayers of wishful thinking. These are promises of the gospel that are ours in Christ. So when we pray these prayers, we're not saying, you know, God, I just hope, I just, I just wish that you would do such things. These are things when we look to Christ are assured for the believer that God will come through on these promises for us. And the first is this, that we need God's help because we need our daily bread. So God, give us, this daily, give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for our provision. That word give. I know for a lot of us, and I'm sure a lot of the men in this room, we hate to ask people to help us. 
That is counterintuitive to what Jesus is speaking here. That first word of give is a helpless dependence that Jesus is calling us to in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We need our provision. It's our need, our dependence. In other words, another way to maybe put this is that God is our breadwinner. We are not. We are to pray this daily. And in this way, we can also be assured in the light of God's grace, there's no need for what-ifs. That God gives to his people the bread we need for the day. And you might be thinking, I am in want right now. I am in need right now. And that is to cause our own hearts and our own lives run to the Father in the name of Christ by the help of the Spirit and find your daily bread from him who gives and gives and gives. This bread that Jesus speaks of is physical bread, yes, and we see that throughout the scriptures. We see in Exodus 16 when manna falls from the sky, when God gives it to his people because they're complaining they're in want. We see Jesus later on in places like John 6 speak of himself as the bread of life after he feeds the 5,000. It's physical bread, yes, but more importantly, it's spiritual When we pray this prayer, we're asking God to be our portion in life. Do you realize this, Christian? That in Jesus, you are full. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And yet we often live like we are famished. And when we feel famished, here is the gift of prayer. Run to the Father who gives us our daily bread. You can depend on him. We're to also pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors in verse 12. This is a prayer for our pardon. And the Puritan Thomas Watson, one of my favorite Puritans, if you're wanting to get into that era of reading, start with Thomas Watson, um, he writes this, Forgiveness means we strive against all thoughts of revenge when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. And this portion of prayer is not simply saying that when we forgive others, God will then forgive us. This is actually in this way. For those who have known the forgiveness of Christ, Forgive much. We love because God has first loved us. And so when we see a lack of forgiveness in our own lives, it has less to do about the person on the other side who is hard to forgive. And I will say this, forgiveness is always difficult. But when we see in our own hearts a resentment and, 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 and a not, uh, we don't have this longing to forgive, but rather seek out revenge or even harm, this says something more about our own hearts resting on the gospel or more, 
maybe more uh, accurately, not resting in the gospel. Because when we think about how God has forgiven us, it is the most radical of all forgivenesses. And this is why when we come to God in prayer, it is a posture of humility. Because you and I, we are not deserving of the forgiveness of God either. There's nothing in which we could have done that kind of got us to the top in which God is thinking favorably about us. But yet in our sin, we were dead in our trespasses. And the wonderful phrase throughout the scriptures, but God. But God. You see, in prayer, we are reminded of the forgiveness, the pardon we have in Jesus. That as far as the east is from the west, so has God done away with our sin. Not because you've measured up and you've done something better, but because God has provided for us what we can never provide for ourselves. And when we rest in that forgiveness, when we look to Jesus, when we see him as our pardon, the life naturally flows out in a way in which we seek to forgive those who have wronged us. And even then, it is only like a glimpse, it is only like a portion of the ways in which we have been forgiven from a God who is holy and just. So we pray for our pardon. And lastly, we pray for our protection that God will lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And once again, I'm going through these very briefly because I feel like you could do a whole sermon series on each of these petitions, and hopefully maybe one of these days, maybe you already have. Um, but to lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are praying God to protect us. It's as if Jesus knows we are prone to wander, and he does know. The way in which we seek for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, the way in which we seek for our lives to be conformed to Christ is not that we somehow just simply become more and more self-dependent, autonomous, able to do it on our own, kind of like as if Jesus has taken off the training wheels off of our bikes. No. The way of growing in Christ is actually a greater leaning into him, a greater dependence on him, and that is what prayer is. I remember, uh, I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up, in fact, in a pastor's family. And when I think about the power of prayer, and just, it's a weird thing, prayer. I came to faith my junior year of high school. But one thing that will, I will always remember when I look back in the way that God has prepared my heart so that I would hear and receive the good news of Christ as presented in the gospel was my mom who prayed. She was known as someone you might call as a prayer warrior. I don't know how you feel about that term. But the reason why is she's someone who would, in the mornings and the nights, she would be found on her knees for hours in prayer for our family, for our church, for her loved ones, And I look at her life of prayer. I always thought it was so interesting because when she was not praying and we were living our lives, she is a lady who is extremely bold <laughs> and courageous and sometimes even irritating for me, you know, as a teenager growing up. But in those moments of prayer, I just couldn't wrap my head around it of where that boldness came from. This small, 
kind of petite Korean lady. <laughs> well, I realized later on in life, especially after talking with her, came from her and her weak dependence on the Lord in prayer. On her knees, before her God, her heavenly Father, bringing before him her heart and life, and essentially acknowledging in those hours, I cannot do anything apart from you. I cannot parent apart from you. I cannot even cause my son, who is kind of rebellious, to come to faith apart from you. I cannot serve the church apart from you. And the list goes on, and that was where she spent her hours in prayer. And that would lead her, as she would leave that throne of grace in prayer, so the rest of her days, the rest of her hours of that day would be with this confident boldness, not in herself, but in her Lord. Not only is he with me, but he will supply for me all that I need to carry out what he has promised to do, that he will build his church, that his kingdom will come, he will reign forever. As she's living in the already, but not yet, as she awaits and she's crying out, come Lord Jesus, come, we're reminded in prayer Jesus is supplying for us all that we need to faithfully live out the ways in which he's called us to. He's not saying, get your boots on, get going, and when you're really in need, then you kind of call in prayer. No, prayer is like breathing for the Christian. And it's a gift for us. Because it reminds us, our goal is not to try to bring in the kingdom. That is what God is doing. But we have the privilege to be used by God for the sake of his kingdom. What a wonderful privilege that is, church. What a wonderful privilege. And so in this way, we can say this as we kind of conclude here this morning. There's so much more that could be said on prayer. But that prayer is the means of grace in which God shapes us. And how does he shape us through it? Well, he reminds us of who he is in prayer. God also reminds us of who we are in prayer. And it brings us to humility before him and our need for him. And we're also reminded of the gospel in prayer, for we have this access to the creator as our father in Christ through his atoning work for us. And make note of this. The Lord's prayer is a prayer for the community of God's people. It's in the plural. We pray, for, we pray in light of our Father for our daily bread, for our debts. This is a prayer that the church ought to pray continually and continually, not just in word, but in heart, so that God's kingdom, his power, his glory would be known from the end, to the ends of the earth, starting here in We Summit, starting here at Christ the Redeemer. This is the way in which God drives the gospel deep into our hearts. This is one of those means. It's prayer. It's a gift. It's a gift and it's a reminder that our Father has truly loved us with a love unlike any other in Christ. Would you please pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you for 
the reminder that prayer is a gift. So often we neglect this gift that you have given to us. And yet, Lord, you are our God who invites us in, who has redeemed us in Christ, who has restored the relationship that we have broken in our sin, but you've restored it through the precious blood of Christ. And God, we pray that you would instill in our own hearts a deep humility, a greater dependence on you, and that through this gift of prayer, as we come before you, pouring out our hearts, God, to you, we would be reminded more and more of the love of Christ for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.